If you've been here at Oaks uh, for a while, you've probably met my longtime friend Mitch Marcheski. He has preached here several times, and he's become a friend uh, to, to many of us here at Oaks. Uh, years ago, Mitch and I would regularly meet at a restaurant in Granville, Ohio, called Brews. A little controversial here for just a second, bear with me. We'd take a seat at the bar, we'd order a, a, a drink, and then we would open our Bibles and begin to read out loud and to discuss with one another. Now I know that among Christians there are all sorts of different convictions about alcohol. I'm not trying to stir a pot. I'm actually, that's not even the focus. I'm not trying to put a stumbling block here, but I'm sharing this particular story for a reason having to do with our passage. If you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew 5, 13 through 16, and I'll finish the story. <laughs> so about once a week, Mitch and I would meet at Brews. We would do our thing. And after a while, we began to notice two things. One, the amount of Bible questions and comments that we would get from bartenders and other patrons, the amount of, it was uncanny. Our conversations even led to four of the bartenders coming to our church. The other thing we noticed is that our presence there with our Bibles open, with our dialogue open, it strangely served as a damper. The people around us gradually became more conscience, conscious about their language, more conscious about how much they would drink, more conscious about their rowdiness, even when the Buckeyes were playing behind them on a TV. Here's my point in all of that. Mitch's and my being there with our Bibles open, with our dialogue open, with our demeanor open, it had a gradual but visible effect on the people at Bruise. Now, I know I'm not alone in having experience like this. Many of you have had this experience, but it shouldn't surprise us because as Jesus is about to illustrate in our passage, when God's people, by God's grace, walk in God's character, no matter where they're at or who's around, it does two things. It slows the decay of the world and it shows God's goodness to the world. God has given each of us a sphere of influence. The streets that we live on, the schools we attend, the places in which we work, the extended family we have, the restaurants we frequent, our being in the places we are should serve to slow the downward spiral of sin wherever we are at and show the upward goodness of God wherever we are at. Now hold on to that for a moment. Last Sunday we began a 20-week series through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, through Matthew chapters five, six, and seven, our aim in this series is to unpack and to embrace the good, godly life that Jesus portrays in it. For the past two Sundays, we've considered some important context for the book of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, but here is a really quick recap. On account of Jesus' 
uh, and the miracles and healings that Jesus has been performing throughout the region of Galilee, especially in chapter four, and on account of his announcing that the kingdom of heaven has arrived, a really large crowd of Jews has followed he and his disciples into the mountainous country overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and there, the crowd probably has a number of looming questions. Is this the Messiah? What exactly is this kingdom of heaven he's announcing? How do we know who's a part of it? How do we ensure our place in it? And so, with this large crowd of Jews in the background and with his disciples near, up close, in the foreground, Jesus opens his mouth and delivers the Sermon on the Mount. Last Sunday, we considered his opening statements in the Beatitude, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. The Beatitudes, eight statements of blessing that describe the character of God's people, what God's people are like. Now, in verses 13 through 16, after Jesus has described what people, God's people are like, he is going to illustrate what God's people are to do. He's going to illustrate our purpose and our mission on the earth. And so I'd invite you to follow along as I read Matthew 5, starting at verse 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you say a word of prayer with me? Father, may the light of your word shine into our hearts and so affect our lives that those around us see you and they give glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So salt and light. According to Jesus, that's what God's people are. That's how we are to function in the world. And so for the remainder of our time, let's consider this passage in two parts, both of which illustrate our mission, our purpose as God's people on earth. If you're a note taker, number one, God's people are too slow the decay of the world. God's people are to slow the decay of the world. Two, God's people are to show his goodness to the world. God's people are to show his goodness to the world. Number one, as salt, 
God's people are to slow the decay of the world. Salt is used for a myriad of things, right? To treat wounds, to soothe throats, to clean, to flavor, to hydrate, to clear driveways tonight. But particularly in view here, salt is used to preserve food by delaying its decay. The first century Roman naturalist Pliny the Elder once wrote, nothing in the world is more useful than salt and sunshine, salt and light. In verse 13, with his disciples right at his feet, Jesus looks at them and says, you are the salt of the earth. In the original language, a special emphasis is given to the word you, leading many commentators to translate it. You, my close followers, you are the salt of the earth. You and no one else, you are the salt of the earth. And notice that Jesus does not say, you might be the salt of the earth. You could be. You should be. You are are today right now right where you are at you are salt and the salt of the earth after making this statement Jesus asks a fascinating and convicting rhetorical question he says you are the salt of the earth but if salt loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again this question is fascinating because on the one hand, pure salt is a stable compound. It cannot lose its saltiness. Likewise, a truly converted Christian cannot become unconverted. A truly born again heart cannot become unborn again. A true disciple of Christ cannot lose ultimately their effectiveness because true sheep cannot become unsheep. Now, as we're about to see, this doesn't mean, and we'll, we'll talk about this in a moment, this doesn't mean that we are to just give way to apathy. This doesn't mean we should stop striving to make our calling and election sure as the apostle uh, Peter urges, but God's true people, God's true salt, who are slowly but surely growing in the godly character traits of verses two through 12, cannot lose their saltiness. There are a litany of scriptural passages that teach this, but listen to these assuring words from Jesus in John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish because no one will snatch them from my hand. You who do not believe me, it's because you're not among my sheep. But my father who has given my sheep to me is greater than all and no one will snatch them out of my hand because I and the father are one. This and a catalog of other passages insist that God's people, God's salt, won't lose their saltiness. But there is a reason for Jesus' rhetorical question to his disciples. What if salt loses its saltiness? This question 
is intended as a jolt and as an invitation. Most salt in the first century world came from marshes and would have contained, they would have been mixed with contaminants that spoiled its longevity and ultimately rendered it, as Jesus says in the second half of 13, no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, discern with me Jesus' invitation here. What sorts of activities might you be participating in, myself included? What sorts of comforts and pleasures and priorities do you regularly embrace that might seem innocent while in reality they are contaminating and corroding your dependence on and your delight in the God who has made you, called you, saved you for his glory? Is the pure salt that we are in Christ commingling with impurities? By the media we consume, the materialism we embrace, the politicians we endorse, the divisions we intensify on social media, the humor we condone, and the issues we conveniently remain silent about. Are you and I allowing contaminants to compromise our saltiness? Are you and I allowing impurities to weaken our witness to the world? Are you and I slowing the decay of the world or are we quickening it? We are the salt of the earth. Are we maintaining the saltiness God has given us or are we trying to lose it? Do we not recognize that like Queen Esther, God has placed us on our streets and in our schools and at our workplaces and within our families for such a time as this that we would be salty vessels of his mercy used by his hand to slow the decay of the world until all of his people are brought home. You and I are the salt of the earth. We are. A graduate of my college who studied in the same film program as I did. This is actually odd. I have, there's Asbury grads right here in this room this morning. Welcome, by the way. First time you're visiting. I'm talking about Asbury right now. So a graduate of my college who studied in the same film, film program as I did, he moved to Los Angeles and started a film company with a very appropriate name, Sodium Entertainment. The way he and his wife see it, they're still out there. Hollywood's gonna make movies. That's what Hollywood does. So what he and his wife and their company are going to do is leverage their creative voice in Hollywood and they are working to slow the immoral trajectory of the film industry while showcasing virtue, goodness, and godliness in small but significant ways. Now, you might disagree with that, that mission. You might disagree with the fact that I even told a story about Mitch and I going to a pub. Okay, but how about you and, and me? I've not arrived. How about you, though, on your street, at your school, 
your workplace, your family, your bowling league, your book club, whatever it is, the spheres that God has placed you in for such a time as this, is decay being slowed because of your salty presence in those places? Are your peers tasting the kingdom of heaven and that it is good? When they are around you, do they taste it? Because point number one, God's people are to slow the decay of the world. Point number two, though, here's the question to precede it. Are your peers seeing the kingdom of heaven when they are around you? Because number two, God's people are to show his goodness to the darkened world. Verse 14, you are the light of the world, Jesus tells his disciples. You, my close followers, you're the light of the world. It's not that you might be the light. It's not that you could be. It's not that you should be. You are the light of the world right now, today, in whatever sphere of life you find yourself in. Like a city, that is located on a hill, Jesus says, like a lamp that illuminates a house. As salt, you are to slow the decaying world. As light, you are to show the darkening world what your good heavenly father looks like. And the reason for this, Jesus gives in verse 16, is it's a wonderfully missional reason so that others in this world would see and glorify God. So that they would come to behold Christ the Redeemer and be owned by him and be filled by his spirit and be joy-filled despite their very unjoyful circumstances that they would sing, taste and see that the Lord is good. The crowd of Jews around Jesus would have no doubt had a category for this. Throughout the whole redemptive story of the Bible, the people of Israel were called by God to reflect his godly character among the nations. And so lest any of them be left on the outside of understanding, Jesus makes plain with two very familiar images, a city and a lamp. Ancient cities were often elevated war reasons, irrigation reasons. They were often elevated and being constructed of white limestone. Ancient cities gleamed in the light of day and they beamed through the darkness of night as lamplight radiated from their windows. Like pure salt, not being able to lose its taste. A city on a hill that's shining brightly, how are you gonna hide that? You can't. Nor can a lamp that is turned on and placed in the center of a room. Can't ignore that, can't unsee that. It's going to be seen. Unless, of course, the lamp is intentionally concealed, as Jesus implies in verse 15. Now here again, Discern with me what Jesus is inviting us into, what he's warning against. 
similar to salt, losing its saltiness when it commingles with impurities. What good is a light to the darkened world if that light is completely withdrawn from the world? What good is a light to the darkened world if it isolates on an island, if it retreats from the lost, or it tucks away forever in a convent or a monastery? Does a fell tree make noise in the woods if no one is around to hear it? Does a light really shine if the darkness cannot perceive it? A while ago, I saw a clip of a guy. It's like a 15-minute clip. He packed up his family and moved to the middle of nowhere in order to get away from all the sin. There are days when I can relate to that. But the grievous irony about that, that man is no farther away from sin in his own little safe haven because Jesus has called him to be salt and light to the world and so his isolating himself is in fact sinful. Disobedient. And by the way, let's rewind the tape. Matthew 5 verses 2 through 12, where is the poverty of spirit in that? That I'm undeserving and amazing grace has been shown to me. I'm getting out of Dodge. Nobody else needs to see this. Where is the meekness in that? Where is the mercy in that? Where is peacemaking toward the lost? All of which, by the way, are the character traits of God's people according to Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, to take flight into the invisible is to deny the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has in fact ceased to follow him. You are the light of the world. So am I. We are a city shining from a hill. We are a lamp lighting up a room. It is the character of Christ in you and the conduct of Christ upon you that is to shine into the darkness and not apart from it. And the end goal is verse 16 that the darkened world would see your good works and that by reflecting your Father in heaven, they might come to him and give him glory. How am I guilty of wandering and withdrawing? How are you? How are we guilty of hiding our baskets, our light under a basket? You've heard the song, Shine it under a bush. Oh no, I'm gonna let it shine. I sang that with all the confidence in the world, but do I do it? Ah, maybe. It could be as simple, I mean, in this day and age, 
to shine forth the good work of God could be simply to just be patient and kind to a frazzled waiter. Just say, hey, 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 I know this meal's relatively expensive. Chill, chill. You have nothing to prove to me. How can I pray for you, by the way? We're about to thank God for this food. It could be as simple as showing mercy and some justice when you see somebody being ill-treated, some generosity when you see somebody in need, some stinking encouragement. Who couldn't use a dose of that? Imagine that is everyone's case. Let's dose them with encouragement. Look, there's a lot of things to pick out about me, and yes, draw my attention to them, but man, I also need to hear you love me. It's, getting, it's, it's actually quite pathetic that in our modern era, these can be very viable ways of showing the love and light of Christ. But all of this requires us to be here. Yes, not of the world, but in it, in it, where's your mission? Who are the lost people around you? Gosh, if it's, you know, if it's what I feel like doing, I'm going to eat at Chick-fil-A, the Christian restaurant. I'm going to go and join Christian school here, or Christian sports here, and this, that, and other with my community group and all that stuff. And I barely rub shoulders with any lost people. Shame on me. Lord, humble me and lead me out. Lead us out. After all, do we not see the gospel all over this? What did Jesus do for us? He didn't withdraw. He was in glory on a throne with unspeakable peace and joy and love that we'll never know. And yet he entered into the wreck. He entered into the sin and the war zone. He didn't just move away to get away from all the sin. Ah, I see myself in that. Convict me, Lord. I wouldn't be here talking to you if Jesus didn't descend into the contaminant, into the garbage and shine his light. I'm here because I've tasted and seen by his grace that the Lord is good and pure and right and worthy and he is coming back. Now us, how are we withdrawing? We need to be, we need to be discerning it may not be anyone's mission here to, to hop over to JFB and start reading scripture. That may be, in fact, very, very, very tempting and, and, and putting a stumbling block in front of one of you. And I would never want to do that. But where are you? What sphere are you called into that you might very intentionally, Lord, help me as I sit down at Applebee's and let me ugh, uh, radiate the light of Christ. I might have just ruined the point. I, I've been striking out on humor a lot lately. It's just not good. And I always end up saying something when I veer from the manuscript that I wish we could rewind. But anyway, this very day, in a moment, we're gonna sing. We're gonna enjoy some donuts. I might have two. And then when we leave this place as the saints, we're going are we ready as salt and light? Are we intentional as salt and light? Oh Lord, let the harvest be plentiful. You're ready. Let's go. Let's pray and then let's sing.
Lord, I just, I can only speak for myself. I want to repent. And my confession of this isn't full repentance. That will be proved out when my life change changes by your grace. But I will confess that, Lord, there is something very, very comfortable about Worcester for me. And I have gotten mighty comfortable. Would you please convict me deep, deeply? And Lord, would you please fan into flame mission? As salt and light, if any of my brothers and sisters in Christ can relate to this, Lord, do this work in us. We believe that you want to. We believe that you will. We are asking that you do, that you reestablish our salty brightness for your glory, for our joy, and for the good of the city of Worcester and beyond that they may see your works or our works reflecting your character, your goodness, your generosity and Lord that they may come to you having tasted that you are uh, tasted and seen that you are wonderful that they would lay their life down and follow you to your glory. We pray this in Jesus name, amen.